Hey everybody, how's it going? Thanks again for tuning in. Definitely appreciate it. Today's episode, just like all the others, is brought to you by Action Specialty Coffee and soon to be Performance Supplements. So definitely stay tuned. We're going to have some big, exciting announcements around Action. But uh, while you wait, make sure you go to drinkaction.com, and that's Action with a K, to order one of your three favorite blends, whether it's light, medium, or dark. And whether you drink that ground up uh, from a bean or even in a K-cup, Action has you covered. Direct from Guatemala, micro-roasted in Austin, Texas. Um, definitely top-notch stuff, guys. So once again, go to drinkaction.com, check it out. Use code word CURIOUS you'll get 15% off. Uh, and I think we're going to give you free shipping too. So uh, make sure you go check that out. And that's just for podcast listeners. For my episode today, I, uh, we're going to get into it. We're going to talk Second Amendment. And uh, I have a friend of mine uh, who it's been a few years since I've had an opportunity to talk with. Uh, can be a, somewhat of a polarizing individual, very opinionated, um, but definitely well-versed and understands the Second Amendment. And he caught me a little off guard with some of his uh, some of his answers to the questions that I had. And I think we had a really interesting conversation. So uh, we get into the Second Amendment talk. Uh, I want to say 25 minutes in. Before that, we talk kind of the journey that he's been on uh, from being a medic in in the military through learning how to tattoo his entire leg. Um, yeah, interesting stuff. But I think you guys will like it. Um, take a listen and uh, yeah, enjoy. Ray Coast, everybody. You know, I, I, I joke about some of this stuff on social media, um, but it, it's, it's tough not to make jokes about it without ruffling feathers, but it's always amazed me how people are like in one, one compartment or another. I cannot tell you how many times in my life I've heard people that are like a droid year should be like, fuck iPhone. I'm like, yeah, okay. I don't know how you feel that strongly about a phone, but. Well, it's, I see people like that, Ray, and I'm like. I just instantly start to discredit anything they say because I'm like, if that's how you think about anything, what, how, like, how do you process information? You don't process information. Nothing's black and white. Like this world is about as gray as gray could possibly ever be. And I think social media and limited characters has just forced people to think that it's just, you know, that's the answer. And there's no thought process that goes into anything. There's no, there's no this, right? That's, that's why I wanted to do this podcast. You know, it's like well, and pe people immediately pick a side based on like the most limited information or actual limited experience. You know, when I bought a Ford truck, you're like, would you buy a Ford for? I don't know. Cause I have good credit. I'm like, well, Ford sucks. Chevy's better. I was like, okay, so don't buy one. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's, I don't, it's weird, man. I, I go back and forth as to what the actual problem is. Is it like, the ability for everybody to have a megaphone. Is this just like shining a light technology on how it always has been? It's just hasn't been able to scale like this in the past. It's just. I can definitely remember way back to when there were just three channels on TV, ABC, CBS, and NBC. Mm -hmm. And, you know, watching broadcast antenna television when I was a kid, we didn't even have cable. And I can remember way, way back to commercials back then that you were either Energizer or Duracell, Coke or Pepsi. And there was always this push that like, if you chose one product, 
you're automatically against the other product. And this, this was just product advertisement. Mm -hmm. But it's amazing how many people, like, if Coke is your drink of choice, oh, I can't drink a Pepsi. They're not that different. It's just sugar, caffeinated, carbonated water, dude. Like, mm -hmm. but it's always amazed me. Seriously, and you know, I bring up this conversation. One of the times I like to get into funky conversations like this is when I'm in the operating room. When you're in like a five-hour long spine surgery. Yeah. You know? what the, like, what, what the hell happened with that? Because I know your background in the military was medical. Yeah. Medic, right? But, yes. like, how did you get into what you're doing? Because if, I guess I should back up, right? You're, you're like, a, explain it. So, I'm a, essentially, I'm just a glorified scrub tech. Um, the, the baseline of my title, my position is they call it surgical technologist, but that's like calling a garbage man, a sanitation engineer. Um, I'm just a scrub tech. Um, after I got hurt, I was, a um, I was an airborne, I, I started off my career in the military as an airborne combat medic, uh, and I injured my left knee. So to keep me in the medical career field, they reclassed me into, uh, surge tech or surgical technician position in the air force which i did that for a couple years in the air force after i got out of the military i tried to pursue that career as a civilian um but back in 2000 when i got out of the military that was like an 11 or 12 dollar an hour job so i just fell away from that and that's when i got into sales and all the other different things i pursued mm -hmm. um fast forward to 2010 um when i 2010, 2011, when I got out of the ministry, um, I was again looking for another career field, um, tried a couple different things. And one of my friends is like, you know, he's like, coach, you were, you were scrub in the military, right? And I was like, yeah. He's like, well, we've got an opening at the hospital. So I actually took a scrub tech job at DCH hospital in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Um, cool side note, you could actually see Bryant Denny stadium from the roof of the hospital, like quarter mile apart. Um, so I took a $14 an hour job scrubbing there. Um, which I mean, let's just agree is not a lot of money for the, the, the working parts entailed in that job. Mm -hmm. So I started immediately looking how to climb that ladder within that career field. Um, while I was at that hospital, I worked my way into what's called the neuro team where I started doing, uh, uh, spine surgery, uh, brain surgery, craniotomies, craniectomies, things like that. I worked on the neuro team for about a year and a half. Um, and then I heard about this thing called travel teching. Uh, basically, when hospitals don't have enough techs or don't have enough nurses, they contract people in to fill the position. Mm -hmm. um, and the really cool part about that is, is uh, in the way I'm paid for a living now, is the pay scale is greatly skewed in my favor um, because you become 60% federally tax exempt and you get paid um, – uh, per diem in what's called a stipend uh, and the stipend greatly offsets it. So I went to work in Bowling Green, Kentucky, where all I did was total joints for two years, um, total knees, total hips, and some total shoulders. So once I got spine and orthopedics under my belt, I became more marketable. Um, from a scrub tech position, like if all you've ever done is plastic surgery or all you've ever done is general surgery, you're very limited in kind of what you can offer. Mm -hmm. um, once you have, you know, you say I have 1500 total joint surgeries, in my resume that makes you much much more marketable um so in 2014 i started travel teching so i've kind of been traveling for six years now six years next month i think 
and uh, I've been everywhere. I've lived in 12 states in the last eight years. Um, but so now I'm just kind of a glorified scrub tech. But what it is, is I have to know what I know. And what I mean by that, that's kind of a redundant statement. Um, the last hospital I worked at, you know, I get one day, I get an eight hour orientation. And then the next day I go into the operating room. Hi, everybody. I'm Coast. And I scrub in and go to work with a bunch of people I've never met before. In and a, they have to. In a field that's more expansive than just a, a typical knee repair yeah yeah well and and two there there's no get to know everybody like so most it, so if you were to take my if I, if I were to take my job full-time at a hospital it's like a four to six month orientation where you like really slowly work your way into everything an introduction to everybody and you come in as a student and then you watch and then you participate i i go right to work like my second day in the hospital so it's uh yeah, it, it was a little intimidating at first, but it's, uh, it's worked out pretty well for me. Um, you know, it's, if you pick the right contracts and you work at the right hospitals, you know, it's, it's created a six figure income for me and I kind of get to do what I want. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've been to some really cool places. I've been to some not so cool places, but. How does it compare to, uh, knocking doors in Indianapolis and Virginia beach? Oh, we're Iowa. Gosh. Sorry, we were in Iowa, weren't we? We were in Iowa, in Des Moines, <laughs> Iowa, and then Virginia Beach. You know, I'll never say that I regret doing that because I, I think one of the things that that makes me who I am is it's not it's not just that I know what I want. I definitely know what I don't want. If that makes sense, yeah. and I and I think that learning experience of the intimidation factor of just meeting a perfect stranger. Hi, I'm here to sell you a product and this is why it's so hard. And you know, nobody wants to be bothered. There's, there's just, you know, I cannot think of a single time that I knocked on somebody's door and they were glad to see, me. you know, like every single time you're met with resistance and it's this, now this, this psychological bantering, this game, of within just a few minutes of conversation, trying to get them to trust me enough to listen to me more. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, eventually open their wallets, you know, how, so that I can earn a paycheck. How much have you taken? For, I, I mean, you're kind of saying it now, but like I literally draw on that experience weekly where I'm going through something and I'm like, man, this sure as hell beats Saturday at six o'clock when you haven't gotten anything done everybody slammed the door in your face. You know, you've got to go into that meeting uh, and tell your number in front of everybody. Uh, yeah, it's, that was psychological warfare, man. There was days where I didn't even want to get up in the morning, but I think about that and it's like, it was such a, such a big part. And I like my job now, it's nothing compared. It's like, I work, you know I mean? I I'm, I'm talking to people that have interest in anything that I'm doing now. And they're, they're almost coming and it's more, how do we structure something that's beneficially, you know, a win for both of us? Where to your point, you're literally interrupting somebody as he's waxing his boat about ready to go out on the reservoir and you're trying to convince him why he needs to de designate $60 a month for the next five years to something that he's never thought about before in his fucking life. Right. A hundred percent. And you know, what always resonated in my head and what was always in the back of my mind is thinking that when I'm home, unless you call or text first and tell me you're coming, I don't want to be bothered. Yeah. It was the, it was the self-awareness of how would I be in this situation yeah, that made the job difficult. 
thousand percent. I do not like when people randomly show up. Sometimes it's nice to get a surprise visit, but 90% of the time you're interrupting me. Which is exactly why guys like Ty White killed the job because he just would have let the shit roll right off his back if somebody showed up at his house at nine o'clock on a Thursday when his kids were trying to do homework. You know what I mean? You know, and it goes the other way. Like I try to never show up at anybody's house unannounced. You know, hey, you know, hey, what are you doing? You know, you mind if I come over later? Like, and so, you know, it, it transposes a lot of, you know, your own personal feelings towards things. So knocking those doors, I mean, we only did that for like three months, but it was enough to like teach me, all right, I got to go find something else. Similar story. When I was in Kentucky, um, I ended up changing hospitals and I went to work in Nashville a little bit. One of the greatest experiences in my life, by the way, Nashville is like my favorite place on earth. But um, I was between, and so the process of being hired at the news hospital, I had like three weeks off. And that's a three week gap in paying my bills. So one of the guys that I went to church with, he's like, well, I can put you to work for those three weeks out on the farm. I was like, yeah, man, I'd love to work on a farm. He's like, all right. He's like, well, wear, wear comfortable shoes, wear a light shirt and light shorts. He said, bring a sun hat, bring a couple gallons of water. I'm like, all right, what are we doing? He's like, you'll see. So I spent the next three weeks cutting tobacco. And I'm here to tell you, um, the hardest, the net, the second hardest thing I've ever done in my life was considerably easier than cutting tobacco out in the Kentucky heat, cutting those plants all day long. And what, he, what kind of humbled me was, uh, you know, I was in pretty good shape at the time working out every day, going to the gym, knew how to hydrate myself. I was working up against Mexicans that would show up in jeans and boots and long sleeve shirts and flannel shirts and a rag and a hat smoking long cigarettes living on like Debbie ho-ho cakes and they would outwork me by like 30 percent you know this because you'll be on a row so when so when you're cutting tobacco you're on a row and your row is like six acres long and you can barely see from one end to the other end but you can see your progress and you can see everybody else's progress and by four hours into the day I'd be a hundred yards behind them working as fast as I could work. I mean, as fast as I could physically push my body and not, you know, have heat exhaustion. That's and they would still think because not only I know how good of shape you were in at the time, but I also know how large your ego is if somebody's <laughs> outpacing you and how much harder you were probably working to try to catch up. And and I think I think nearly gave myself a heat stroke several times just trying to figure out like but you know they they've been doing it several years and that was kind of their thing. But still, like, just getting whooped that bad. I'll tell you, when I finally went back to work in the next hospital, you know, the operating room is always like 68 degrees, never rains in there, the temperature never changes. It's always, it's like, yeah, this, this is where I'm supposed to be. And now, like you said a few minutes ago, I'm so used to going into new environments and new places and do, I'm way inside my wheelhouse now. Like, not only does my job feel easy to me, it's just, Every, everything is just comfortable and, you know, people are glad that I'm there because typically I bring a skill set and, and please don't let me sound grandiose saying it like this, but I bring a skill set usually above the people they already have there oftentimes. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's, it, it's kind of neat now. I mean, I'm 42 now and, you know, the idea of changing jobs and changing atmospheres and things like that, you know, it, it gets harder every year. Yeah. But thankfully with, you know, to answer your, what I'm, what I'm doing now, um, 
I don't want to say easy. It's not easy to get to where I'm at, but once I'm there, I think it's just, it's just kind of maintenance mode now and it's a pretty chill life. So, but now I'm on this next step in stone, Justin, I am, I'm aging out of my career. I can't be doing what I'm doing when I'm 55. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could, but it'll be, you know, because, you know, a life in surgery, spine surgery, trauma surgery, you know, you're on your feet 10, 12 hours a day, very high demand, a lot of expectations. You can't make mistakes. Like you can't even make little mistakes. You have to be perfect every day. And so I'm, I'm kind of looking into that crystal ball. What, you know, what skill set, what ambitions, what passions do I have that I can create this next career for myself that can take me into or past retirement? Yeah. Good luck with that. Well, I mean, especially right now, the way the world is, it's kind of like, I don't know. I think sometimes things, things like this upheaval are good though. Like if you're kind of in that headspace, now's the time, right. To, to take a risk. I think you see all kinds of people turtling up, they get in their shell, they're petrified. It's like the scariest thing in the world. And it's like, I don't know, man, I, I have a mindset of right now, put your head down and get ahead because there's going to be some very capable people who probably were ahead of you in the race who you're going to pass as long as you stay out on the track. It's like NASCAR, right? You're like, yeah, somebody yeah. decides to pit, you take the risk, you stay out there. And after the delay, all of a sudden you've moved up in the race a little bit. And I, I don't know. It's uh, it's unfortunate because I think a lot of people are going to come out of this with a double impact of negativity on, you know, both mental health and the fact that they've sat around stagnant for the last three months and are no closer to getting shit done in their life. You know, I've put a few videos online on Facebook. I don't know if you've seen them, but I've talked about that very thing. Like, you know, my personal interpretation of what I've seen in people now I've been a good boy. Like I've, I've obeyed the quarantine. I stay right here in my place, man. You know, I make a beer and grocery run every other week, but that's about it. But, um, it amazes me how many people in, in this downtime have not utilized any of this for personal gain or personal achievement or per order a guitar on Amazon, learn to play it, make it your goal to do 200 pushups a day, whatever it is. Instead of sitting around crying that you're not at work with all your coworkers that you hate anyway, use this time for personal growth and use this time because, you know, mental health is, um, it's a pretty big issue right now. A lot of people are just, you know, they're very, very depressed. They're very, you know, they've lost their purpose because without their job, they feel they had no purpose. And it's amazing to me how many people like, you know, if you listen to so many people talk about, you know, I'm not, I'm not a parent. So, you know, oh, it's not too late for you to have kids. Maybe for you, I think for me it is. But these same people have done nothing but complain about how bad it's been to be home with their kids every day for two months. And I'm like, isn't that, is, you know, that, that's, that's an interesting hypocrisy. And I, and I hate to sound hateful when I say that because I'm not. I just think it's funny. Like everybody always tells me what a blessing it is to have kids, but then you do nothing when whine when they're stuck in the house with them. Yeah. And I don't, and, and yeah, I, I'm sure half of that is probably people who legitimately can't stand to be around their kids. And the other half is they have nothing else in their life to talk about. And so it's kind of like, let me add to the misery cloud of Facebook and share how my daughter drew on the couch and I just need a new glass of wine. Yeah. 
I mean, I, even now, I, you know, I, I haven't gone back to work yet. Even now, I was like, all right, I'm going to try something else. I took some lumber that I had and put it together. I didn't realize how cheap it was. I just ordered a set of throwing axes off Amazon. It was 50 bucks for four of them. They, they get more expensive. It's kind of a starter kit, so I'm going to learn to throw axes. Do you remember Paul Grice? Yeah, yeah. So he just hit me up on Facebook Messenger today about some of my videos and talking about, you know, this conversation about, you know, finding ways to he, he actually saw one of my videos and it motivated him to get his guitar out of the case and start picking the guitar again and start singing songs again. And I told him, I said, man, I've, you know, I've always wanted to do that. So he is going to send me a guitar and teach me how to play guitar through video. I'm like, all right. So this is a thing with you though, right? Because like you, you learned how to tattoo and now you have yeah. a whole full sleeve on your leg that you did yourself. Right? Yeah. What that, like, I, we haven't spoken really a whole lot about that since you went through that whole like phase where I literally, dude, I would, I'd go check out your page. I'm like, holy shit. Like his whole leg is completely <clears throat> covered and you just learned. Okay. So that style of learning for me is not unique. And, and I'll, I'll just, I'm going I'm to go forwards and backwards. Yeah. So like when I wanted to get into vinyl wrapping, vinyl wrapping vehicles, the first thing I did was wrap my own truck. Um, I, I always feel like it's unfair for people to practice on other people's vehicles, bodies, whatever. So, you know, I practiced on my own truck first, made plenty of mistakes, um, you know, had to tear a lot of vinyl off. By the time I got the vinyl, vinyl wrapping my Lexus, I was pretty good at it. The same thing with tattoos, like the tattoos are up here on my upper thigh where I first started are kind of garbage and gobbly and, and sort of embarrassing, but it's still my story. So as I worked my way down my leg, I was getting better and better, you know, learning you know, learning single line pass is difficult. So when you make a line with a tattoo machine, you go through that line one time and it takes a long time to learn because it, it's, it's really horrible. I don't know that I have any, I have, it's really horrible when you take your tattoo machine and you go, and all it's there is a little red line and no ink in the skin. So now you have to go back through that, but because you're going back through it, you're Scarring creating scars. Yeah. Yeah. And so having to learn that on myself, I feel like shorten the curve because when you're learning on other people and so, you know, learning all that on myself and, and, and I even did crazy stuff. Like I went through my Achilles tendon um, just to kind of see different parts of the body back of my knee. Um, yeah. Don't get a tattoo in your Achilles tendon, by the way. Um, I'm the only person I know. I'm the only person I've ever met that has their Achilles and the arch of their foot tattooed. Um, it's extremely painful and uh, you can't walk right for a couple of weeks. But yeah, that, that's in all my different things that I've tried in my little adventures, I kind of always start with me um, first. Uh, I still do tattoo a little bit. I still uh, tattoo friends and family a little bit. I don't advertise or anything like that, but I'm, a, I'm still a scratcher. Yeah. I still got, to, still got some skills. The vinyl wrapping thing turned out to be way too tedious for me to actually be good at. Like it's, oh, it's, so frustrating because you make one little mistake and you have to rip off a hundred dollar piece of vinyl. So yeah, air, air bubbles and stuff like that. Just or all of the above, things. man. Yeah. People that are good at it are great at it. Um, it's one of those things like you really just can't do a half-assed job. Well, kind of the same with tattoos, but <laughs> I've, I've seen more shitty tattoos in my life than I've seen good ones. Yeah. So did you, have you seen my dad got his whole arm done? 
Yeah, I, I ran into your dad two years ago downtown, and he was like mega. It's kind of funny, man, because he like, you know, completely silver hair. He's got his reading glasses stuck up with his hair, wearing a Hawaiian shirt, and just you know, I was just like, that. I mean, it's like loud. Oh dark yeah, he, color. it's all like jungle theme. He's got a he's got a gorilla on his hand. He's got a toucan. He he just like all of a sudden got this urge to get a sleeve done and he's got the other side designed out he just hasn't gone back and started on it yet i really want a sleeve on my arm but i am so over like the whole process mm -hmm. the healing process the like it's it, it just really really stinks man and i'm not good at not picking at the damn things i'm a picker so i've got a lot of scars and the tattoos that i have because i dig at the dang things but yeah, it's, for me, it's like an every few year type of thing. It's like I get I get over it once I get one, and then the itch just slowly starts to come back, and then I get a reason why, and then I start thinking about it more. It's like everything in life, right? I, I just create the landslide behind my own thoughts to force myself into action. It's just like yeah, a bad habit. <laughs> well, and the thing about, uh, you know, the thing about ink is one of the things that I have been trapped into is now it's so popular and so many people have ink and so many like it's getting harder and harder and harder to find any originality yeah like now every other than the uh, uh nautical stars that i have everything else i either drew or came up with or created um but my art isn't like what i'd really like to have done or so there, there are some artists out there you know but I don't know if I want to pay $10,000 for a sleeve, but yeah. if you've ever seen a $10,000 sleeve, it's like, whoa. I mean, it is so much better than, you know, yeah. even, even a $2,000 tattoo is like literally so much better. I've been following and, a lot of Native American stuff lately. There's a, a painter, his name's Greg Overton, and he does all kinds of like really cool and unique paintings of Native American chiefs and samurais and stuff like that and uh he's kind of come to popularity um the re last few months he's really surged on social media and people are starting to get his work tattooed and to your point somebody got one i mean it was it looked like his painting on his arm and it was amongst a number of other really unique native american tattoos it was unreal and in, in, in just the last probably five to seven years tattoo machines, tattoo inks, the whole process has gotten way, way, way better. Now there are still a bunch of old school guys that still use the regular, you know, reverb machines, but mm -hmm. you know, there's like $700, you know, high dollar rotary machines now that you can dial it and adjust based on, uh, based on the person's skin and based on how you want it. And some of the stuff that they're like, even if you even look at some of the tattoos on Ink Master, mm -hmm. you know, back when that was a thing, even some of that's becoming obsolete because it's just advancing so fast. So it's kind of one of those, you know, have you ever waited for something to get better before you bought it? Oh yeah. Kind of thing. Like, you know, it's, so I'm so glad I, you know, I didn't get LASIK eye surgery five years ago when it was $3,000 an eye. Now it's like 800 bucks for both of them. Yeah. So, you know, I don't mind wearing contacts that much. So and the I'm doctors glad I performing it now also have thousands more hours under their belt and performing the surgery. And so, you know, 
I, I want to get a tattoo before I'm too old to appreciate it. My skin goes to crap, but you know, I'm actually kind of waiting for it to be that next, next, next level because there are so many things out there um, that have come that <laughs> my, my grandfather clock came with a house. Um, there are so many things out there that are going to that next level. And, you know, of course, there's a lot of things out there that have completely stagnated. But, you know, in, in the world of what we're looking at with, I hate to use the word technology because it is a really technology and tattoo work, but there is. Yeah. You know, clay ink was just becoming a thing when I got into tattoos. And the difference between water ink and clay ink is amazing. Well, now ink has gone up another step and literally black ink is like black. Like it's like Sharpie black. And they always say it is, but after a couple of years, it kind of loses it. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, I, I will probably do work my chest piece into a back piece, but it's, I'm in no rush. How about that? Yeah. I, I got into the gun kick about two years ago and that just has really, everything else kind of got put on hold. Yeah. I wanted, that's, I mean, obviously with, everything happening right now this is a big reason that i reached out initially i mean obviously dude i wanted to catch up we've we've got countless stories that we can go through as well but right i know your level of a proficiency of not only you know using a firearm but laws of a firearm rights second amendment rights and i've heard what you're saying and i just you know not to get overly conspiratorial but i don't believe everything that i see and I know a lot of people who were anti-Second Amendment who right now are very pro-Second Amendment. Ran out and bought guns. Exactly. So get, like, let's, let's dive into this because I think I really would appreciate your perspective on this whole, this whole situation and just Second Amendment in general. So I learned this when I was in the military and you know, they teach you this and, and they, they kind of enforce it with different. Is a baby afraid of a rattlesnake? No. Why? Doesn't know what a rattlesnake is. Doesn't know what a rattlesnake is and it doesn't know any better. It's a learn. Fear is a learned behavior. Okay. A bit, when you're born into this world, you only have one fear. That's the fear of falling. That's it. That is the only fear that exists in your mind. You're not afraid of spiders. You're not afraid of water. You're not afraid of anything else. So all fears that humans inherently have are learned behavior. And if you, if you want to look at how different administrations and different, you know, the, the hippie movement that took place in the 60s, you know, the things that were taking place in the 80s, if you look at all different administrations and how things have been set up on a timeline through this country, there, there has been this, this push and pull and push and pull of do Americans need firearms. Um, forgive me on the date, Browning made a semi-automatic rifle um, that held 10 rounds of, it, it, was, it was called a 30 carbine. It was, it was about the size of a 308, but a little bit smaller. Um, it was a, but it was a semi-automatic rifle um, from 19, it was like 19, gosh, 1937-ish. And over the course of the next 40 years, they, set, they sold 400,000 of that particular weapon. So you fast forward all the way till today and people are talking about, you don't need an AR. Well, ARs take a bad rap, but there have always been high capacity semi-automatic rifles. Americans have had them for a long, long, long time. But what happens is, you know, you only hear that what's the newest, newest trend, newest fad. So many Americans have been taught to be afraid of guns 
more than they have been taught to be afraid of the threat of danger. And one of the things is fear only exists in your mind. The things that people are afraid of may or may not happen. Like there are people that are afraid of being struck by lightning. All right, maybe, but most likely not. There are people that are Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, have the ever, story of you and I sitting have you, have you ever I seen... I tell that story all the time. Sorry, I had to interrupt you. Did you get my lightning? No, of you? Yeah, once. Boom! Just completely detonated that transformer. Crazy. Like, right on the second. Yeah, sorry. So, the, what the Second Amendment is, is there was a group of, and I will say intelligent individuals, but like-minded individuals understand that they came to the common agreement that, that evil is real. And that evil exists in all forms. Evil exists in the form of an evil doctor, an evil parent, an evil teacher, or an evil tyrannical government. They understand that evil exists. And evil can exist on any level of society. Okay, where virtue ends, evil begins. And there's, there's no place that you're safe from that. And if a government starts to become evil, the people of the land should be able to protect themselves from the government. The only way you can protect themselves from the government is to have weaponry by which you can say, no, you're not coming on my land. Now, everybody always argues, well, the military has bigger guns and they'll come and take your guns. Stupid arguments. Okay, like it, this, the, the military would never turn on its own people. It just simply, and I'm not going to, that's a whole other conversation. I, mean, I think we're seeing that even a little bit right now. Um, they're not turning on the people. They're just simply a show. No, that's, and that's what I mean. I feel like we're seeing the military stand down in a lot of instances in order to keep the peace. I, to your point, I, I agree 100%. The military is not going to turn on its own people. Ever. And it's, it's just no not way. possible. But, you know, so the Second Amendment is not me carrying a pistol. So if some guy tries to mug me, I've got a different. That is a part of it. But the Second, second Amendment was primarily written, designed, shall not be infringed is for the people of this country to be able to defend ourselves against a tyrannical government. Well, interestingly enough, there is tyrannical behavior taking place in our government pretty constantly, you know, and one of the things that I'm almost ashamed of, um, I'm, I'm going to pick a political name and forgive me for doing this, but Nancy Pelosi has been in office since I was in middle school. I'm in my forties. I never knew who Nancy Pelosi was until Donald Trump was president. I never knew about these stupid games and these, these lies and these tricks and all this backdoor, all these thousand dollar handshakes. I, I never had any knowledge of any of this. So love or hate Donald Trump, he has exposed so much of the corruption that exists in our government. So back to the baby being afraid of a rattlesnake, I, I get kind of loquacious in the middle of things, but my points will come together. Somehow in about the time we created the purple participation ribbon, you know, you're in my generation and the generation slightly behind me raising kids. Everybody gets a prize. Everybody gets a trophy. No, we don't play dodgeball anymore because, you know, the protagonist and the antagonist, you know, people get their feelings hurt. It has created this extremely large comfort zone. Words hurt. You can't say that to me. You know, people and everyone's oppressed. Everyone's a victim. Everyone is, you know. There's currency in being a victim. There's currency in thousand percent, you know, and, and once you cry victim, you know, now you're in, you're in, you create a bigger safe space for yourself. You know, I, I think the world was better off when, if you said the wrong thing, you got punched in the mouth for it. I mean, there's, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to say there's, 
Yeah, the safe spaces have, have actually safe spaces have actually allowed ideological um, points of view that may be far right or left actually grow because this, right. you're not able to challenge that. It's it's allowed to fester in its own echo chamber with other like-minded morons. That's and, exactly right. You know, because I believe strong ideas will always overpower weak ideas, whether it be racism, whether it be and, you name it. But we aren't, that, we aren't talking about it. And that groupthink of, it's amazing how well the Purple Participation Ribbon worked. And it's amazing how many people just gravitated to, yeah, I want to be comfortable. I want to be in a comfort zone. I want to be, I want to be in my safe space. So what happened was the fear of evil kind of went away because we have a whole generation of people that have been raised in a padded room, so to speak. Yeah. You know, they, they haven't been bullied. They haven't had to fight. They haven't had to stand up for themselves. They haven't actually had to have face-to-face -face confrontation with people. They haven't had to survive a pecking order because they've been protected of everything. So now we make it all the way to 2020 and evil shows its face and it shows the potential for real things. See, there, fear is a pigment of your imagination, pigment of your imagination, but danger is very real. Okay. And evil creates danger. Not all danger of tree branch falling in your head's deep, but in the human, so, so in the last, starting in about the end of February, Americans have been buying guns like crazy. March set the all-time largest firearm purchase in the United States of the all of history of the United States. Because now people actually are coming to the realization. The need for the Second Amendment is actually. That other humans are dangerous. Yeah. And not only are other humans dangerous, but they're. They're willing, it's, it's, it's such a hard, it's such a hard phraseology for it, but they're willing to cross those lines now. Well, we're starting to actually see people change what our core beliefs and values are. I mean, I, I firmly believe as a country, you know, at, at least the, the vocal majority being, you know, a lot of people on social media, I think if you were to really poll everybody, it, it'd probably be different, but it seems like we don't believe in free speech anymore. It no. seems like we believe in censorship. We, no, it seems we, that we believe in everything that this country was founded against. We believe in free speech unless you say, I love Donald Trump. We believe in free speech unless you say, you know, abortion is murder. You know, the, the, the tolerant left has been proven again and again and again and again that they only want their free speech. And they don't really want to hear your opinion. They want to hear their opinion come out of your mouth. And when they don't get that, this, if you go back to this, you know, they've lived in this safe space for so long that they're just used to getting their way. They're used to getting that participa participation. Everybody wins. And believe it or not, there are more people on that side than there are people on the rational thinking side of things. One of the people that I love listening to talk about this things, I don't, you know, you know who Mike Rowe is? The guy from He's Dirty from Jobs. Discovery Channel. The guy from Dirty Jobs. Yeah. Well, he, um, they, they'll have him on Fox News once in a while, but he's got some videos on YouTube. Look him up. He really just talks about, you know, kind of the core values of who Americans are, who Americans were, who many Americans are striving to be. And he really just hits the nail on the head with now you have all these people that for 
maybe 20 years have just felt super safe in their homes. You know, if we take everybody's guns away, there won't ever be school shootings. Wrong. You know, if we, we took everybody's heroin away and how well has that worked? It's, it's the same thing. Criminals are criminals and criminals are always going to break the law. So now with, you know, with the need for people to protect themselves, everybody's out running out and buying guns, but they're still not doing right by themselves. If you gave me one of those guitars behind you on the wall, if you gave it to me here, coast, this is yours. And I take this guitar home and I sit down on my couch, doesn't make me a musician. So if I go down to the local gun shop, I go down to Dunham's, Dunham's and I buy a Glock 19 and two boxes of shells and I bring it home, doesn't make me armed. Everybody's running out and buying guns, but we, there's this humongous gap between when we were an armed society and when we were this, you know, this padded room society that people now have guns that they have no idea what to do with. Yeah, they can go to the range and make it go bang, but that still doesn't make you train. They don't practice carrying techniques. They don't practice dry firing techniques. They don't practice how to handle their weapon. They don't practice scenarios in which this is what I would do if this scenario took place. This is what I would do if this scenario played. How many, how many good old boys do you know, yeah, I got my gun in my truck? Well, what good does that do? That doesn't even do you any good if you're sitting in your truck. Yeah. You know, bad guy sees you reach for your glove box, he's going to plug a hole in you. So, you know, I try to have as proactive conversations as I can with people about what the Second Amendment is. Look, I've even got some of my training caps laying here for my dry fire in my living room. What the Second Amendment is, is our ability to arm ourselves, to defend ourselves against a tyrannical government. But it doesn't mean anything if the gun just sits in a case or you just go to a range and punch holes in a piece of paper, which is like, I don't, I don't want to throw a, a percentage like I know, but it's what the majority of people do. You would not believe how many people ask me all the time, which AR should I buy? Save your money on an AR and go take a training course and learn how to use your sidearm. What gunfight do you think you're going to be in that you need an AR? Because you're not going to train for it. All you're going to do is die with your gun in your hand. And people are like, well, 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 well. people are unwilling to learn what it actually takes to take the steps necessary to actually be able to defend themselves. And it's yeah. scary. I want to go there really quick because, you know, I'm, I, I, I get so frustrated with the people who are, you know, very anti-Second Amendment, who push a false narrative, who don't understand um, why people may want to have the right to bear arms. But it's also, it's not helpful when the folks that are on the side who are big, strong advocates of the Second Amendment, you know, are, to your point, people who are misinformed themselves. They just, they just line up on the right side of the argument, per se. Constantly. Um, but, but ultimately are the, the rot inside of the tree that you know, looks beautiful in the backyard, but it's ultimately going to fall over, and you're going to have to cut it up and deal with all the consequences of it. So, so you know, I, I shoot some competitions. Um, I'm, in, you know, um, I'm heavily involved in a couple of different gun clubs. And it's always difficult to have conversations with people that are far on the right because they just think the more guns, the better. And, you know, the joke I always make is you can only shoot one at a time. You know, is, is having 25 guitars really better than having one guitar? Well, it kind of depends. If you're just talking about practice and playing, if I'm just talking about target shooting, but if you're actually talking about fighting for your life and you're actually talking about really, really using a weapon 
in a situation where you are defending your home, defending your family, defending your community, whatever it is, mm -hmm. okay, you only need one. Or if you're like me, I train with a primary and a secondary. Um, these guys right now that showed up down in Harrisburg, I don't know if you know this, there was just a big uh, protest on the cap the Capitol building in Harrisburg where these guys are showing up in, you know, in full kits, you know, plate carriers, wearing their ARs. Um, and I, you know, had several people ask me if I was willing to go down and I'm not. Like, I believe in show of force and I believe in peaceful protest, but I also think that I think there comes a point when you're sending the wrong message, like you have good intentions, but anybody who's going to any, anybody who's maybe lightly second amendment who, you know, you've got a, you've got a, a young family and dad decides he wants to have a firearm to protect his family, or you have a single mom that decides she wants to buy a firearm to protect her children. They see that and they're like, Whoa, you know, I don't want to be any part of that. And, and there's a lot of things in our culture, where people, it's, it's like when they always go to the extreme extreme, they make people, so, so I've, I've got a lift kit on my truck. I've got a, like a four inch lift kit on my F-150 and I run 35 inch tires. And I feel like that makes the truck look good, drive, it's, it's the right size. But whenever I pull up beside one of those guys that's got tires that are like up to my shoulder and the truck is like up there, it makes me, there's that like, I don't wanna say intimidation factor, but it makes me feel like, yeah, I have no desire to do that because it's so far to one side. Yeah. And you know, you can think of just, you and I have tattoos, yeah. but when I see people that have them all over their face, I just think just, you went a little too far to one side. You know, I like tattoos. I, I think that's a little too much. And so in the second amendment world, these people that think, you know, anybody that comes to my house, I'm going to shoot them with my 50. Dude, like, no. Like when you, 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 that is also a tyrannical mindset Yeah, that, that you're just going to blow up and kill anybody that you think is bad. Um, so I'm actually in the process right now. So I'm a, uh, I'm a certified range officer. Um, and I'm in the process of getting a double, um, firearm instructor license. Mm -hmm. And what I want to start teaching is I want to start teaching women how to defend themselves. Um, I don't know that I really have a desire to teach men because when it comes to guns, most guys won't admit what they don't know and they already act like they know everything. And I don't like breaking down walls. I like building new ones. Um, and, 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 and again, I'm getting long winded and I apologize, but no, it's good. You know, when it comes to the second amendment thing, so I've got lots of guns, but I've got lots of guns because I shoot a variety of guns and for teaching purposes and for, I only carry one and I, it's always the same one. I don't like carry a different gun in different days or, or for to a degree, if, if, I'm, if I'm wearing my gym clothes, I do have a little tiny mini planker that I carry. Mm -hmm. Or, uh, you know, if I'm going into public, I carry a spare magazine. Well, it's how, I don't know, what was his name? And you know, the guy in Texas that was at the church who, yeah. same thing, right? Certified instructor, but the ability, I, don't, I mean, anybody that's seen the video. Headshot, I mean, 65 a, feet. A guy had a shotgun. I mean, talk, I mean in, a, in a ceremony out of nowhere with the composure to step up and take one shot across the room, probably what, 25 yards, 15 yards? It was 65 feet. 65 feet. Give me, give me one second, I'll be right back. I'm gonna show you something. So for, for, for training purposes and conversation purposes, so just to give you an example, so this here is one of the fastest selling, hottest selling guns in the country right now. 
People are buying these like crazy. Um, I'm gonna clear it. So they, they have a very, very good um, reputation out there. This is a SIG P365. It's a very nice little piece. What makes this gun unique is it's tiny. I wish I had my Glock 19 to show you how much smaller it is. This is tiny and it holds 12 rounds of 9mm, which is a lot of bang. But what I explain to people is lots and lots and lots of people are buying this gun. This is not a beginner's pistol. If this is your first pistol and this is the gun that you plan to learn with, the amount of time that you have to spend on a gun like this to become proficient with it, it does not have any type of mechanical safety whatsoever, okay? And when you drop the magazine, it drops the bottom of the grip. The magazine completes the grip. So in the handling of this firearm, you really have to handle firearms a lot to have, to be able to create a master grip on this, to be able to create a proper grip and use this. It's just too small for someone to learn on. And what happens is they'll get, they'll get mom in the store and she'll be like, yeah, this fits my hand good and this will fit in my purse good. This is what I should carry. This is how accidents happen because this has got a very tight, for a small gun, it's got a very tight spring. Like I can't, you can't just press check it. It's, I have big strong hands. So it's, so this is a hard gun to learn on. And you have tons and tons and tons of people that are, will buy guns like this. They'll go to the range, they'll shoot a box of shells through it, pop it in a holster and put it in their belt and they'll carry this thinking that they're safer. This is a hard gun to draw quick and and I bought this for teaching purposes. This is a $550 pistol. I like it. It shoots good. It's good for me because I handle guns all the time. Um, you know, I shoot anywhere from between two and five days a week. I shoot every single week, but two to five, I, I build a range out here in my land. Yeah, I saw that. But this guy here, it's a fantastic little gun. This, this is good for people who are experienced shooters, who are experienced in handling guns. But unless you handle guns a lot, you're a danger to yourself with this. There's no safety at all of any kind. Um, the Springfield Hellcats in the same category. So people are like, oh, you're a SIG hater. I'm not a SIG hater. I bought one. But for people to run out and buy these and for that dude at the gun shops, like, yeah, this is the best selling gun in the country right now. You're doing people a disservice. It, it would be like, and I, ha I hate to use an analogy like this. It would be like trying to learn to drive in a lifted up F-350 Super Duty or like a Ferrari. Mm -hmm. Is it a car? Can it get you to the grocery store? Absolutely. But you're a thousand times more likely to make a mistake in one of those two vehicles than you are like saying driving a Jeep Grand Cherokee. You know, a nice middle of the road, easy to drive, easy for, you know, there are those things that everybody can drive and everybody can use and it's the same as true with guns. So you have all these people running out and buying ARs they don't really know how to use them. They don't really understand. It's, it's not a plinker. It's not a, it's not a plink gun. It's not a hunting gun. It's not really a range gun. I mean, it's, it really is a tactical firearm and you need to learn how to use it as such. If you just want to go out and shoot holes in paper, cool. But don't think that your home is safer because you have it standing behind the bedroom door. Because the likelihood of you, there's just, there's a lot of statistics that show that when armed citizens respond to bad people. So if I'm in Applebee's and I'm eating dinner and some dude comes in and sticks his Glock in the, in the face of the girl behind the register and says, open the register, what should I do? All right, well, in that situation, I can do one, you know, if, I, if I'm not armed, I can, I can freeze, I can try to hide or I can try to run. 
If I'm armed, I've got one more option. I can try to fight back. There's this other shadow option that you can try to fight them unarmed, you know, and you have those two badasses in France that took out that dude with the AK, mm-hmm. like, hoorah. That is kind of a shadow option, but I don't recommend it. Not for most people. Not for most people. And the one dude got shot four times. He lived, but he took four holes in him. So you can freeze, you can hide, you can run. Well, if you have kids there, my friends there, am I going to run and let everybody else die? What do you do? If you have a firearm, you have another option. You can choose to fight back. Well, if I pull my pistol and I blast three rounds and I hit a kid in the head at the table behind him, have I done society any favors? Absolutely not. So that's where training comes in. That's where being proficient with a firearm that you can manage, that you can handle, that you can train with, that fits your lifestyle, that fits, that does what it should do, and getting some training about, okay, I know I have a gun on, so I need to be responsible. Once I pull that trigger, I'm responsible for whatever that bullet does until it stops moving. If you shoot through bad guy and hit an innocent person. So how much of that should be, right? Because anybody who's a firm believer in the second amendment, I think, or at least the majority believes that if you give an inch, everything's gone. You can't give an inch. And that's why people have been so firm. But in a situation like that, right? I mean, we all drive. Nobody thinks that you shouldn't have the right to drive, but you have a license. You're taught to drive and you have infractions. Where does that line draw from? Can you drive an 18-wheeler? No. Why? Because I don't have the right license to drive an 18-wheeler. Can you fly a helicopter? Uh, No. I mean... So... So this is where I get into arguments with my pro second amendment people. If you want to protect the second amendment, I I have lots and lots of friends who just go out and buy guns and stop their house full of guns and stop their safe full of guns. And they think the more guns they have, the more armed they are. And they don't even practice with the gun they carry, which is hilarious to me. Um, I think there should be proficiency training required to own a pistol. I think there should be another level of proficiency training required to own a semi-automatic rifle. There already is, you can't own a fully automatic unless you have an FFL4. Mm -hmm. But I feel like if you're a person that wants to own one, or you want to own a shotgun or rifle, like your hunter safety course or stuff like that, I feel like in this country that licensure will help things a lot. And, but the thing is, one of the things we're up against is there's so many guns in the world and so many guns flood the border from Mexico. They don't just ship drugs here. They ship plenty, plenty, plenty of Glocks here. You know, how do we, in that process of limiting, I don't want to say limiting rights because I'm not even trying to go down that road, but limiting guns being in the hands of unqualified people. Okay. Um, you know, you, you said about driving and there are a lot, a lot, a lot of people out there driving around that have dents in their car. You know, if you go to Walmart right, right now and walk around every car there, I bet you 30% of the cars in the parking lot, I've got a dent in the bumper, a scratch in the sides so where they've hit something, clipped something. And those are people who are licensed and drive. If that's a firearm, and, and I hate to use that same analogy, but if that's a firearm, that's, that's bad. Yeah. Even if a small amount of that correlates, it's a high, high amount of tragedy exactly right yeah so proof is that oopsies happen in life okay i feel like there should be some level of training 
for citizens to have firearms. And I think that will take some of the pressure off because one of the things that happens, and it's, it's, it's so unfortunate, but you know, like a lot of these school shootings, those firearms were obtained legally. You know, kid took it from dad, from grandpa, from aunt, from whatever, those firearms were obtained legally. I also, so Mike Wolf is trying to pass, the, Tom Wolf is trying to pass this law. I disagree with it because I don't, he wants to make it a law. I, I don't, I don't, it's a slippery slope, Justin, because I do feel like if you own firearms, that it should be mandatory that you have them locked up. That, or a certain percentage of them or a certain, however that works. You know, when, when I take my EDC off, I just lay it down on my nightstand or my kitchen table because I'm the only person here. So to force me to lock that gun up is stupid because if somebody kicks in my door, what am I gonna do? You know, I even have a gun in my bathroom because if, you know, I'm in the shower and somebody kicks, you know, kicks the door in, what are you gonna do? sucks extra bad when you're naked but i it's tough because when i enter into these conversations like i'm getting into with you it's it's scary because i definitely don't want to give the, the government any leverage whatsoever but i'm also interested in trying to find a way to limit the big explosion that's coming the explosion that's coming yeah you know here, here's what i picture in my mind you know i'm at applebee's and dude comes in and he's waving a gun around he's screaming he's got everybody scared and i pull my pistol out and soccer mom shoots me in the head i got one you know because there's there's a difference between carrying a gun and being vigilant yeah you know there there's there's a difference between you know a lot of different things there's a lot of and, and when you think about you know i'm glad you used the example of driving and you know how many people that you would consider a friend you don't like riding in a car with them because they're texting and driving or they're weaving in and out of traffic or they're on the phone drinking a coffee, you know, with their little freaking lap dog doing, you're like, ah, I don't want to be in a car with them. Sorry. Well, at the same time, that's why I don't go to public gun ranges. Yeah, man. I, I've been very uncomfortable a handful of times at public gun ranges in the past where just looking around, you don't, you don't see a whole lot of, people making good decisions. You're not in a position where you can go and speak up and say anything. No. And, and people get offended really, really quick. Like, yo, bro, you're like pointing your gun my way. Oh, it's safe. It's unsafe. It's unloaded. Still don't want any holes in me. And what's sad is most people that are buying guns have no interest in taking training, have no interest in any kind of constructive criticism about how to handle a firearm, why you should you know, why, when, how, you know, it, we're, we're just not having those talks. So now we have millions more armed Americans in this country that not only do they not have an interest in, they're just not going to. Yeah. They're going to go to the range. They're going to shoot a box of shells or two. And, you know, I see videos. I don't know if you watch TikTok. Yeah. But there are these videos of people all the time of, you know, doing this. Why is your finger on the trigger, dude? Like, get your booger hook off the bank switch. Like, you're not on a range. You're not pointed down range. I commented in a video the other day, a guy had his wife shooting. If I do this, what am I doing wrong? That slide is gonna railroad track my thumb. Yeah. So when the slide comes back, it's gonna eat. So she's shooting like this. She's shooting at a target that's, and the road is right behind the target. And you're like, 
and this is just my wife expressing her Second Amendment rights. The Second Amendment is, is a baseline, and that should not be infringed. But what we should have in place is how do we keep stupid people from doing stupid things to, and, and I, I know that sounds so. No, it's judgmental. frustrating. It's really frustrating because as you know, I'll, I'll kind of give a personal testament to this, right? So I kind of started getting more into this, right? I, a supporter of the second amendment and I'm also a cannabis advocate. And when Pennsylvania legalized cannabis a couple of years ago, from a medical perspective, I qualify due to some issues that I have with some discs in my neck. And it's been a huge benefit to me in a lot of ways, uh, not considering the fact that I don't have to drive into shady neighborhoods of Pittsburgh to pick up drugs from somebody who's probably carrying an illegal firearm in some cases. And so I'm now not legally allowed to possess a firearm in the state of Pennsylvania or in, in the United States because cannabis is still a federally illegal substance. So I find myself at odds where, you know, cannabis truly is something that has helped me in ways that I can't even express from anxiety to pain, to perspective, to, you know, my ability to even have this conversation and be open to the what ifs and to challenge the way that I think. And yet, to your point, there's folks who might not need that medicine for themselves, but who can just run down to, you know, uh, Walmart and buy something that ultimately could kill somebody because they don't have the level of desire or interest that I have in wanting to protect my family and doing it in a safe way. And, and that, and that's such a difficult thing because so a, a friend of mine, he's a preacher. He had, um, he's got a degenerative spine condition uh, and he had uh, a multi-level fusion in his lower back and he was on Neurotin and Gabapentin for several years. And those drugs started to have a negative effect uh, on his system. And in Florida, anyway, the doctor recommended medical marijuana. Um, he actually takes THC tablets. Mm-hmm. So he takes CBD tablets at a certain part of the day and THC tablets at a certain part of the day. Um, he doesn't smoke or vape or any of that. And it's helped him immensely. Um, but, you know, this guy used to own a gun range. So for him, for him to give up his right to carry is, is a really, really big deal. Um, and, you know, Justin, that's one of those things that's super hard for me. Going back to what we said way back in the beginning of this conversation, you know, I can only apply my own perspective. You know, I've, you know, I've, I've been imbibed in cannabinoids plenty in my life, um, purely for recreational. I personally get no benefit from it. Doesn't help me concentrate. Doesn't help me focus. In fact, does all the opposite. It may, you know, and I've tried, you know, the dispensary, hydrate, all different. The way my mind works, it's just not a, right. You know, and, and if and if when I was younger, it wasn't bad. The stuff now is so stinking strong and so potent that it takes my brain to a place that like I'm at home with all the lights off, cuddled up in the corner, like freaking out, thinking they're coming to get me. Um, I just don't do well with it. Which, which, you know, in fairness kind of lends, I, like, I guess from that perspective, right. I can understand a level of sensitivity around a substance that can have a psychoactive effect on people and providing the ability to license them to carry a firearm, right? I mean, same thing. Totally can, totally can. Yeah, me stoned with a gun is not a good idea. Right. Me, me stoned with a gun is just bad for everybody. Um, so, you know, working in the medical field, in my profession, 
you know, I can't imagine, you know, so when they talk about legalization, um, and, and I don't, I don't want to get grossly off topic and go down another rabbit hole, but most people that I know that imbibe in cannabis, like adamantly profess that it makes them better as a person, whether they're legal, illegal, however it is. And a lot of these people that I know, if I'm around them when they're sober, around them when they're stoned, they're not. Like they're not as sharp as they think they are. They're not as articulate as they think they are. They're definitely not as intuitive as they think they are when, when they're baked. Sure. Um, and I'm not saying everyone, I'm just saying people that profess that, you know, it gives me this edge, it gives me this, you know, like, you know, Joe Rogan talks about these guys that like the only way that they can, you know, do jujitsu and grapple and rolls, you know, they all maybe. Okay. I'm not saying that's not real. I'm just saying that my personal experiences, and I also think about what I do for a living and the, the amount of, the amount of mental concentration and the amount of um, just, just absolute focus that it takes to do what I do for a living. Mm -hmm. I don't think I would want to work with a stone spine surgeon. I just, I don't see that be so, so if I take that to the next level, would I want, would I be okay with my nephew's bus driver being stone? I don't think so. No. Like, do I think that there are some people that it does help focus, help without a doubt. But you know, when, it, when you just make it, the, the, the liberals just want to make it okay for everybody. I'm here to tell you, it's not okay for me. And so if it's not, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want me operating on you if I just ripped a couple bong toes because it's not going to go well. Sure. No, I, I mean, I wouldn't want to hop. I, I travel a lot, right? I wouldn't want to fly with a pilot who's just been smoking weed. And I think I, I'll clarify something too, right? So for me, we've both weight trained and, you know, done physical fitness throughout our yeah. life, right? So I'm not <laughs> going to use a heavy bench with a, you know, a slingshot or some chains on it or bands for every chest workout. So for me, you know, there's definitely an aspect where maybe going into a social setting where anxiety may be flaring up. I know I, I gave my brother speech at his wedding and it was like needed to go and kind of take a hit, calm my nerves down prior to that. Um, or at night when I'm doing some thinking or, you know, kind of going through some things creatively leveraging it, but having the self control and discipline to be able to not, leverage that and is in a situation where hey i'm i need to have a high level of cognitive ability in order to to complete a task right but you also self-evaluate you know yeah it, it's it's largely been my experience and there are people who do hold on i i, I want to touch on that because you're right and i would say that for me the 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 real dilemma is i self-evaluate and i'm so introspective because of cannabis i i I feel like cannabis has given me that desire to want to explore, even when I'm not under the influence of cannabis. It's helped me want to be that person more to understand and, and really deepen my thoughts and ideas around things. So I, you know, you're, you're almost talking about somebody who's explaining psilocybin to me, which is oh yeah, don't get me going there, man. A whole other. Uh, dude, I've got a friend who went from being normal, average guru Joe like you and me to like, he's like genius level. He started microdosing about, he started microdosing about two years ago and playing around with this stuff. Dude, it's like talking to a different person. And like, it's bizarre. It's now he had a few hiccups along the way. Um, but you know, where he's at now versus where he is at, you know, seven years ago when I met him, it's like, was, but you know, I, I think 
I hate to get into the I think, I feel. I think there's someone, something out there that can kind of help everybody along a little bit. Like for me, you know, Adderall does me wonders. Yep. You know, I can focus and I can become more productive and I can channel my thoughts and channel my emotions. You tried, new, get things. You tried new Vigil too, correct? Yeah, for a long time. And that stuff's amazing. It's just really, really hard to get and really, really expensive. Mm-hmm. Even with the prescription, it's still, unless you have like executive level insurance, it's just, uh, I tried New Vigil and Pro Vigil both. Okay. And I like New Vigil better. New Vigil, like, it's hard to explain. It's like you can talk and write at the same time and get them both right. It's ridiculous. Um, so, you know, do, do I think limiting cannabis or li- limiting cannabis card holders to not be, that would be, it would be good for me. It's not, it's not good for me to be high and carry a firearm. It's just not. Um, I'm not saying I would go unhinged, but in a situation, well, and then there's this too, you know, it, it, you roll one, you smoke it, you go mow the lawn, and then you decide to go into town and you're still feeling some effects. Something happens while you're in town. You know, it's, sure. it's hard for me to, cause I, you know, it's hard for me to think about, I drink, Mm-hmm. you know, my cognitive discernibility is different when I've had a few beers. It's a lot different when I've had a lot of beers. Um, See, and that's where I'll, I'll, I'll challenge you a little bit because I will say like my, my cog, like when I, and, and maybe it's because I'm a frequent user of cannabis, right? So I don't, I get, I get the paranoia at times if I smoke the right thing or the right amount at the right place at the right time. But I don't that ever, sounds like wrong thing at the wrong place at the wrong time. For me. I don't like being paranoid. <laughs> yeah, I don't like being paranoid at all. Um, but as far like I can go to the gym, my workouts don't suffer. Like I can I can bench press. Like I'm not uncoordinated. I don't you know walk into things the same way that if I was to sit down and you know have six or seven beers, I would actually lose my coordination. I wouldn't be able to have my motor function. I'd be slowed down. Right. Now there's a level right. of anxiety. So let me put a comma right there. So you're on the bench press and an old dude drops of a heart attack on the treadmill. Yeah. So now your workout's not your workout anymore. There's this thing that's happened over here. Mm-hmm. Are you gonna be able to change your brain, run over, take the AED off the wall and administer first aid to this person? Or are you gonna be like, oh, well, like, or is it gonna be kind of a different mind blow because you're under the influence? See, to do normal things in a normal routine, I agree. Yep. But in that split second when things change, sure. can your brain shift to, okay, I don't need to be my intellectual, deep in thought, intuitive stone self right now. I need to go into saving this person's life mode or saving my own life mode or whatever it is. And, you know, so it's like this, when I lived in Florida, I I used to, I used to partake back then, but I couldn't smoke and ride my crotch rocket. When I was on my crotch rocket running 130, 50, you know, nearly 200 miles through 200 miles an hour through traffic. I couldn't make those split second decisions fast enough if I'd smoked mm-hmm. and I, I had done it and like nearly wrapped myself up in traffic a couple times. So, um, I used to get, I used to get high and play racquetball and that was fun because I felt like I was just so ridiculously in tune with the angles and the ball and making those split second decisions. But it's one of those things where do I think I'm doing better because I think I'm doing better or am I actually doing better? Does that, does that make sense? Oh, most definitely. And I guess I get, it almost gets back to your, your licensing aspect where 
you know, I don't know if this would be the, the answer to this, but again, if, if people were forced to have proficiency and to be graded on their ability and maybe have a, a reduced license, maybe it's a, an at-home permit, right? Where I'm not out in public, to your point, leaving somewhere where maybe I partook in something and then I'm forced to be able to leverage that firearm where I'm not allowed to carry it in a situation like that or where, you know, at least where my ability to protect my family from whether it be an armed intruder at night or from a tyrannical government, at least I'm not breaking the law in order to do that in some way, Agreed. shape, or form. Because I agree. I don't know how comfortable I would feel if I was even, you know, kind of coming down after a few hours at an Applebee's, somebody pulls a gun. Do I want to be the person to be a little bit off and miss the mark and kill somebody accidentally? It totally makes sense. That's a fair. So, the, the way, so the way I explain firearm proficiency to people, and people will say this, oh, coach, you don't know what you're going to do in that moment. I say, well, here's what I do know. When I get to the end of my road, I'm going to look left. I'm going to look right. I'm going to put my turn signal on, and I'm going to look left one more time before I pull out. When I put my turn signal on, I'm not even going to think about it. My left hand is automatically going to reach up, and it's automatically going to click that lever. I, I assess this, I assess that, and as part of that, it just automatically happens. Every single time I turn left, it happens. Every single time I turn right, it happens. Why? Because I've practiced it a lot. So it's the same exact thing. So in the, in the situation that I need to use my turn signal, I know how and when and why. In the situation that I need to use my firearm, I've already assessed everything long before I hit that lever. Mm -hmm. But when it's time to hit that lever, I've already looked left, I've already looked right, I already... And people say, well, what about, what about, you can what about things to death, man. They're infinite scenarios. So I, now you got me thinking about something though. And you open uh -oh. up the box because <clears throat> you do have a can of beer sitting in front of you. At least you did. You're drinking some yingling earlier, right? So we both, we both agree that if you were to drink, drink a six pack or you drink eight beers and uh, you're leaving the, you're leaving the bar, you're hopping in the passenger seat of your buddy's car and somebody creates a situation in which you need to leverage that firearm. You in that situation would probably know better than to even engage to have your firearm. But I mean, we're talking about marijuana is illegal and alcohol is legal. And so, so you're a thousand percent right. So Pennsylvania is one of the few States um, that you can actually drink and carry. Mm -hmm. They recommend that you don't, but you can, I, you can carry in a bar in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, for me, there's only one bar that I go to anywhere. So for me, that's why I don't participate in that particular activity. I try not to drink and carry. Sure. Um, but and, the, the message that's being made is that an alcohol, somebody that, that leverages alcohol or drinks alcohol is more mature in being able to make decisions about using a firearm than somebody who's leveraging marijuana. I, I don't know that it's maturity as much, Justin. It's just, it. Like, do you really feel like that the laws in Pennsylvania, because I don't disagree with the premise. I think on the premise of, is it safer or not? Well, you and I are hundred percent on that. Where I come in is do, do you feel like the laws in Pennsylvania prohibiting that or in the United States are, are honestly to benefit our safety or is it political to get people on one side or the other, gun owner or cannabis user, because it's right and left. That, that's because an easy answer. Alcohol is legal for you to own a firearm, and it's not any more safe or dangerous. It's the same thing. It's dangerous if you're drunk with a firearm, but you're allowed to. 
So the, the easy answer to that is, I think it's all political, and I don't think anybody cares whether we're safer or not. Um, I, I've never believed that the government actually cares about my safety. Um, and there's so much proof in that. You know, do you know why there's no helmet laws in the state of Pennsylvania? No, no. Who do you think, what do you think the driving force behind that is? Insurance companies. I was just going to say, just going to say insurance companies. So why insurance companies? They don't because want to the pay high medical surviving an accident. Die. They, they'd rather pay out your life insurance than health insurance. Okay. So people think it's because, oh, our freedom, our choice. No, no, no. It's because yeah. the likelihood of you surviving the accident without a helmet go way down, like way, way, way down. The government doesn't care about our safety. Don't ever for one minute think they do. Don't think that OSHA or these laws or, you know, you can't have a firearm with cannabis. Those things oh, are- Right, if that, was the, if that was the case, we'd be having, the last four months, we'd be having a pandemic on cigarettes. Dude, there's, there's infinite, like you, we could talk for hours about the, it's all politics. Why those particular politics don't align? Mainly because right now, the government hasn't actually found a way to make money off marijuana and it be safe the way they want to. Like they make lots of money off alcohol. Mm -hmm. Any liquor store in the state of Pennsylvania is a state liquor store. So any liquor purchased in the Pennsylvania is highly taxed by the state. Um, Pennsylvania isn't there yet, but if Tom Wolf gets his way, states like Massachusetts, Maine, you actually pay a separate tax. Like if you go into a bar, you pay sales tax and then you get a separate tax added, you get an alcohol tax. Um, and there, and there's, they, I just, in my belief is they just haven't found a way to make the money that they want to make off it yet. So, and because it's not legalized by the fed, they're, they're still, they're it's still just playing. Point. It's a leverage, it's a leverage point. point. Yeah. And I don't really think they give a rip one way or another about people's safety. You know, that's what you hear on CNN or Fox news and all those conflicting you'll, you'll never convince me that the government has my safety and my best interest at heart they want as much money as they can take from me and they want as much control as they can have and they want me to keep paying my taxes and that's it and i'm you know you know i like trump but i'm pro i'm i am i i, I am pro second amendment i am pro certain things but i am anti-government almost all the way across the board there are very very few things like when the whole gay marriage thing was a debate. I don't think the government has any say in marriage at all. I don't think the government should be allowed to say who gets married at all. This shouldn't even be a government issue. I don't think the government has any say in that whatsoever, but they made it, they, they made it about politics. Um, interestingly enough, Trump is the first president ever to actually support same-sex marriage. They thought Obama did, Obama did not, but anyway. Um, you, this in, 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 interestingly, when I, I was thinking about this, when I was listening to you, if there were two more people in this chat, we would have already started an argument. Mm -hmm. we, we can have this discussion because it's you and me. On an individual basis, you can have discussions about firearms and cannabis and gun laws and Second Amendment. But you put more than two people in that conversation, it almost always goes downhill because People are very passionate about it, but they don't really know why they're passionate about it. And my passions aren't going to align with your passions. Um, and it's, I'm, I'm so very cautious sometimes 
on how to engage people in these conversations because I don't know how to get people trained. You said it a long time, we gotta have a license to drive a car. You have to have a license to carry a firearm, but it took me like 12 minutes to get it at the sheriff's department. Like I went in, they took my driver's license, they ran my background check and they gave me a card and I left. Mm-hmm. Like they, he doesn't even know if I've ever even shot a gun before. Um, an armed society is a polite society, but simply having a gun doesn't make you armed. And I know that sounds like the devil's in the details there. Yeah. You know, having a gun makes you armed. No, it just makes you having a gun. Um, it's we're, we're in a we're in a time with with this pandemic with all this rioting. Lots and lots and lots and lots of people have gone out and bought firearms. And in the next six months, I'll be buying a lot of those back that they decided they didn't want. And, you know, I've I've already bought a couple at some pretty amazing prices. Um, it's so tough to discuss and it's so tough to answer because I can only talk about my own perspective. And when I talk about what I think, I can only think what reasonable people like me would do. Like I carry a trauma pack in my vehicle. I carry a level three trauma pack in my vehicle. I carry a level one trauma pack when I'm on my four wheeler or I'm, when I go to the gun range, I take my trauma pack with me. You know, not only am I prepared for bad things to happen, but there's like this expectation if you simply live in this world, bad things are going to happen around you. Now, I'm, you know, probably going to use my trauma pack a thousand times before I'll use my firearm once. But they go together. Um, uh, do, do you know the difference between IFAK or AFAK? Have you ever heard? IFAK. I've heard the terms tossed around, but I'm not. So it's, it's individual first aid kit. And IFAK yeah. is to save your own life. Tourniquet, blood clot, things to save your own life. And AFAK is an advanced first aid kit. That's to save someone else's life. Um, And it's one of those, like, it's amazing to me how many people, like, driving around think they're safe and don't even have a tourniquet in their car. Mm -hmm. Like, mass examination, bleeding out is how most people die in auto accidents. And, like, people are like, oh, use a belt. doesn't work like that. Like, you you need to have a tourniquet. You You need to have some kind of first aid kit. You need to have... And so people run out and buy guns, but never, never even think they have a trauma kit in their house. Do you follow Tim Kennedy at all? Yes. Okay. Yeah, he's, he's been really talking a lot about that now that I'm thinking back on it. And, and more people are because, well, and here's this, you know, I tell people, you know, it, it, it's, it's, preclusion is such a, a slippery slope. So if I pull my firearm out, and let's just say I'm in sheets and I shoot the guy and he goes down drops his gun, I don't need to shoot him again. He's no longer a threat. I'm not gonna keep shooting him because he's no longer a threat. The, the threat's been neutralized. But now, because I'm a medic, it's not my duty to save his life. I don't want him to die. I just want him to not kill anybody else. And a lot of people think I'm a hypocrite for that. Preservation of life has been my sole focus every working minute of my job for 7,000 surgeries now. I'm not, I'm not 400 surgeries in, I'm like 7,000 surgeries in. Preservation of life is like my focus. So if I, you know, if I, a home intruder comes in and I shoot them and don't kill them and they're down and I've got their gun, well, I'm not just going to let them lay there and bleed out. They, they needed to be stopped, but they don't need to die. I don't think, I don't think an instant death penalty just because they came in to get my TV is, now if he's got a gun pointed at me and it's him or me, it's you, bro. But that doesn't mean I necessarily want to kill him, you know, and like, you know, current 
presidential, you know, Joe Biden's like, why don't they just shoot him in the knee? You know, you fight. Hold on. How are we in a position where that man is an option, let alone the option for Democratic Party, but an option? It was going to be him or Bernie, and Bernie was such a ridiculous option. All right. This, this, This comes back to what I was talking about. 45 minutes going to conversation. This purple participation rubber bit, purple participation ribbon generation. It's all about feelings and what I think and what I feel. And they think Trump is a bad man and they feel like he's a racist and he's a sexist and all these things. And what they want is they, they want somebody who's just gentle and calm and soft and and it's, it's bizarre what, what they think it takes to run a business and the business that is America. You know, because Trump is a crass, bold, easy, egotistical, is he narcissistic? Yeah. That's why he wins negotiation after negotiation after negotiation after. He has done more for the trade, the trade deals in this country than ever in the history of ever. But this younger generation, this this purple participate, like it's it's weird. They just want everything to just 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 be nice. Everybody just be nice to one another. We don't need guns. If we take guns away, there won't be any crimes. Yeah, I mean, listen, I I'll be the first to admit, I I was certainly and still am. I support I support our president. I su- I supported Barack Obama, and I didn't vote for him because he was my president. That was just because I don't like the coach doesn't mean I want my team to lose. Right. So, and I listen, I don't speak for everybody. I'm not saying everybody supported Barack Obama. There are people that said he wasn't a citizen of the United States, whether that's, you know, but at the end of the day, I supported him as the president of the United States. You know, I never spoke out negatively against Barack Obama, but you know, we, we're in a really, really weird flux with things. And I guess the thing that's frustrating to me is and you just asked a question that is almost funny. You know, how is Joe Biden the candidate? How was Bernie the other candidate? Like, how are people so easily brainwashed or fooled or misled or what? Because they're more fixated on what they hate and what they're afraid of than what is the good, valuable thing that they should be actually out there looking. If they put as much energy into criticizing the the totem pole that they're putting out front as they do in criticizing the opposition you know it's like listen i like i was saying i support our president i'm the first one to say at times i wish that he would like be a little bit more presidential uh maybe try to bring people together but then there's also a part of me that wonders what are, are we being really honest with ourselves that if he like you know took an hour and sat down and had like a real honest moment with America and said, we need to come together that half of the country still wouldn't be like, fuck him. So like maybe at this point in time he's realized, you know, and what I'd see personally, and you know, call me crazy. I see a guy who realizes that if he draws a line in the sand and he's very firm about it and he actually kind of gaslights and maybe kind of incites people and is braggadocious about the fact that he's firm in his stance and not going to move that every time he draws a line, that his opposition goes a little bit further 
And when he continues to hold firm, they go further and he continues to hold firm. And then they drive the car off the cliff as opposed to trying to actually come to an agreement or try to, you know, to my point earlier, beat bad ideas with good ideas. Trump definitely hasn't had all the greatest ideas, but I I'm pretty sure that he hasn't been wrong every single time either back to our point that the world isn't black and white. So until people can have that realization to even have the conversation and to challenge themselves as well as others, we're going to have Joe Biden as the next best option, I guess, right? You know, people don't, very few people will admit that they're judgmental. Yeah. But how else do we decide how we're going to interact with a person? You don't just treat every single human the exact same. Maybe Gandhi, maybe Buddha, I don't know. There, there have been some people that are that nice. But, you know, if you didn't know he was post Malone, okay, and he got into an elevator with you and your business associates and you're all in your suits going up to the 14th floor, you know, are you not going to be going, yeah, I mean, the guy's like a multi, multi, multi hundred million dollar, maybe close to the B, but if you didn't know that was him, just because an outward appearance, and there are a lot of people that are trying to, trying to break outward appearances, but, you know, we get stuck in the vacuum of our normal group, our normal gym people, our normal, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, we all, it's, it's like when you're at the gym and somebody walks by you that just, you know, like rubbed dew ports all over, they smell like an ash can. You're like, Whoa. you know, and immediately you're, I don't, I don't know what your thoughts are. I'm like, leave the gym, go, you know, you don't belong here. And it's because, you know, it, it doesn't fit into my narrative of who goes to the gym. And we do that societally. Like, it's not black or white. It's behavior. It's appearance. It's so many things. And we, you know, we focus on who our our particular group is. Um, and there's groups I have to give it to. You know, like there are some groups that are much more. It's nine o'clock, bro. There are groups that seem to be much more open-minded than others. Um, and there are groups that are obviously much more closed-minded than others. But, you know, your, your personal accountability is not something we're good at as Americans, right? We want everyone else to be accountable, but people just, they don't, they don't do it. And when you ask questions like your ball field scenario, you know, if you ask that same question to 100 people, they're not going to answer you honestly, because the answer you honestly means that they have to take personal accountability for how they actually feel and how they actually perceive, perceive things. And that's my, that's my take on why people are taking the easy way out right now and saying, I want to apologize for my entitlement and for my privilege because it's the cop out. It's the easy way when everybody's posting a square or, you know, apologizing for being white. It's the easy way as opposed to your point in actually making changes in their day-to-day life when they have to look at themselves and say, you know what, where can I actually be a better person? Maybe I do judge people, people in general, not just black people. Maybe I judge everybody a little bit too much and I can be a little more open-minded. But we don't want to do that. We don't want to look at ourselves truthfully and understand what are the what are the ugly parts of us and what can we get better at? What's going to take a little bit of work, right? We don't want to do that work. We'd rather take the easy road out and post 120 characters on Twitter. And you know, I saw some asshole on Facebook a couple of days ago. They were like, "Here's an easy link. Um, click the button to see which one of your friends has liked the Donald Trump page." Like, okay, 
like my grandmother maybe clicked it 12 years ago when she was a fan of apprentice like get the fuck out of here with that you're gonna yeah. you're gonna what like you're gonna like dox people because of a facebook page they liked that to and, me and shows a level of of absolute just complete idiocracy any lack of perspective and you've I, i'm in a lack of words when i see things like that no yeah well and, and then you add to this whole thing something we haven't even mentioned the troll population in this country is oh my gosh the people stirring stuff is like yeah. I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you I, it's not racist or bigotist or judgmental but i have a certain hatred I don't care what color, race, gender you are. If you're a troll, I don't like you. Trolls are fueling so much hatred in this country right now. And there's so, you know, th this George Soros thing. George Soros? George Floyd. No, Soros. The guy oh, that Soros, funds. The billionaire. Yeah, that yeah. funds all the Antifa people and everything. I mean, he's like the most professional troll of all time. Because he actually pays people to go out and create misery and chaos so i heard something today that we sp speaking of candace owens that she had a, a gofundme page that was raising money for a cafe in alabama it was uh, owned by a conservative couple now i don't know what the details are but for whatever reason this cafe was boycotted and in some ways targeted by the left certain groups, I don't want to say the left in general, but certain groups in Alabama were protesting this group. I don't know if they stood behind something or, or whatever it was. Didn't make a cake or something. Yeah. Um, and so she decided to put up a GoFundMe to raise money and within 24 hours raised over $200,000. And GoFundMe reached out and shut down the campaign as they viewed it as, I don't know if it was hateful or uh, racist, but basically that they weren't allowed to do it. Now they gave the money that was raised to the cafe, but they shut it down and would not allow them to continue to raise money. Now on the flip side of that, I've seen countless GoFundMes and, and large celebrities promoting GoFundMes that are raising funds to bail out protesters and looters who have destroyed cities. And yeah. GoFundMe doesn't step up, like without even getting involved in the argument of which side I'm on, as a human in general, on either side, you should be scared to death that anybody is taking away your freedoms and justifying the ability to do so by saying that you're hateful or that they have the right because it's a private business. I, I mean, it's... Uh, and, and, you know, there, there's a lot of that going on. Like, there's, you know not to circle back to Trump, but he, he's going to war with social media about them censoring um, conservative pages, conservative points, conservative posts. I'm anxious to see what all, what becomes of all that because I've been censored. Um, and I don't even post edgy stuff. Um, it's th this, this is, this is all so bad. You, you're talking about, riding and protesting and protesters in jail. One of the favorite things that I'm going to enjoy over the next six months to a year is when all these investigators and all these detectives and all these departments start going back through all this video footage and arresting people and putting people in prison for a long time for arson. There's so many people out there thinking they got away with this. 
no, 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 son. Like there's, there's going to be a lot of consequences. There's going to be a lot of consequences to pay for the stuff that's happened. There are a lot of people on videos committing multiple felonies and F12 or not, there's going to be some accountability and I'm going to, I'm thoroughly going to enjoy that. Yeah. I saw they, they just arrested a, a kid that 24 year old kid that killed that uh, retired police chief in St. Yep. Protecting a pawn shop. And just, I mean, um, this past weekend was a Saturday. 84 people were shot in Chicago. 24 of them died. 22 of them were black. Like. Yeah. And as a white person, man, I hear that. Every time I hear that, it bothers me. Yeah. It bothers me. Not, yeah. Because they're people. And it's just like, it doesn't bother me because the, the conversation isn't focused there. It bothers me not because it's the focus is somewhere else. It bothers me that it isn't there as well. Right. It can be Nobody both cares. places. It could be both. They don't places. actually care. Yeah. You know, and, and so, so you're now the family, the grieving family of a dead kid or a dead teenager, but because of the death of this other guy, you get no attention. It's, it's bizarre, man. And there's, you know, I, I'm not intelligent enough and I'm not versed enough in, you know, the, the language of, of those particular politics to have much more than opinion. than it's so horrible. Yeah. And Chicago, you know, has the strictest gun laws in the entire country. They had 84 people shot in one day. You and I wouldn't have a gun in Chicago because we're law abiding citizens. 84 people were shot in one day. You think gun control works? How do, how do you, how does that compute? Uh, you know, and I heard somebody, that argument got brought up where they were saying there's all these different shootings in Chicago and guns are illegal. It's very strict in Chicago. And they said, well, yeah, but they just drive over to Indiana and buy the guns. I'm like, exactly. That's my fucking point. They break the law. They go across state lines. They get an illegal gun and they bring it back to Chicago and they use it to commit a crime. Exactly my point. Like you proved me right. Well, and the thing is the people that say, so in for whole, I think since Clinton, you can't buy a gun out of state. Like Alabama is basically a handshake state. If you, if you live in, you can buy a gun from somebody on a handshake, but you're committing a felony. If you, if you sell a gun to somebody that lives out of state. So, you know, some states have registration laws. Pennsylvania doesn't have a registration law, but it has a bill of sale law, which is what's the difference. But yeah, you're like somebody from New York can't just drive to Pennsylvania and buy an illegal firearm. So they're just buying them there. There's, it's, it's just like buying heroin or Coke or crack rock. It's you, you go to people that deal in guns. Yeah. What we should do is we should not make these so long. We should do this again. You need to get your voice and your expertise out there on a consistent basis in a way. I think you're talking about what's next for you. You, you made six, you figured out a way to make six figures being a scrub tech, right? And you might be good at it, but I don't think you're as good at being a scrub tech as you are at voicing your opinion as much as I've heard well, it. Once, once upon a time, I used to do motivational speaking and I used to speak at high schools and I used to, you know, and do a lot of that stuff. But 
you know, I lost my platform. And so, you know, I do, I do make videos and things like that. You know, I make three, four, six minute videos um, and put them on just because I enjoy, I don't know. I feel like I articulate myself in a way that people can relate. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's, I've never seen any advantage in it other than just making my opinion heard. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I've, I've been able to monetize it. And the hard part about that though, back to the cannabis side is I started to monetize it, but then it was like a job again because I was, I needed to go and do things in order to keep up with needing to monetize it and commitments that I had. And it was like, I really don't feel like talking to another grow house operator today. Like I fucking got, I'm, I'm past that. I've got everything that I need to know. I want to go talk to somebody else. And so it just got tough. So this is like helping to keep it fresh and to have different perspectives. And it's like, I want to talk to Ray. Awesome. But as this, as this platform grows, I'm trying to, and the whole coffee thing, I mean, that's July. We've got a, a lot of stuff coming as far as CBD and MCT oils. And I feel kind of bad. Um, you haven't been out to the hospital probably. None of those K cups are making it to the hospital. <laughs> you, do you, do you even drink coffee? Are you kidding me? Do you? Do you have a Do you have a Keurig at your house? Two and have a French press. Um, I actually really, really like the the bold. Really? It's yeah. so what it is. It's it's hard, especially in a Keurig. A Keurig is if I'm lazy. Mm-hmm. Um, French press is the best. Grind, you know, grind your beans and French press it. I'm gonna send. Do you have a French press? Yeah. All right. So this is called Amplified. It's a medium roast arabica, and it has MCT oil powder inside of it. So it's clean fats and energy. Don't even need a creamer. So it's built right into really? it. Yeah, it's, a, it's our performance, but you need a French press for it. You can't put it in anything other than you have to steep it in the French press and let it sit. But it's yeah, yeah. fantastic. So when it comes to K-Cups, they make a decent cup of coffee. But if the coffee is strong at all, the only other company, and I hate to mention a competitor, the only company out there that I found was, is Black Rifle Coffee. Yep. Um, their K-Cups, like their AK-47, and their, they've got a couple flavors. That it's a good, strong cup without being bitter. Yeah. See, what happens is with, with, a, with a Keurig, it's brewed in such a short amount of time that if it's a strong cup of coffee, it's bitter. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, I, like, I, like rich, I like rich, flavorful coffee, but that uh, box that you sent me, what is it, black and bold? Yeah. That is really good cup of coffee. There, <laughs> there's, when it comes to K-Cups, they're so damn expensive that I drink a lot of the cheaper ones just because, yeah. you know, um, on my non-working days, I usually drink two cups a day. On my working days, I'll drink anywhere from two to eight. Yeah. I just, I drink coffee on hot days. People tell me there's something wrong with me, but I think there's something wrong with it if you don't. Um, yeah, I started drinking coffee when I was about 34. And by the time I was in my late 30s, it just, it's, um, coffee's my favorite drink. I prefer it over anything else. I'll mail, I'll mail this out to you tomorrow morning because I've got more coming. <clears throat> We're getting ready for like a big marketing push, but I'll send this one out because I don't want it to go bad. Um, try it out in your French press. See if you like it. Nice. Well, you know, MTC infused coffee is interesting because the whole keto world mm-hmm. and you know, I've, I've, you know, when I did the keto diet last year was, you know, MTC, MTC, like, and I was, I was using keto coffee and mixing it with my coffee. But if you have coffee that's already infused, then that's interesting. Yeah. Now it's, it's good, clean energy. It's, um, and it, to the point, like you don't necessarily need a creamer. We're actually coming out with a product called amplify, which will just be the MCT powder without the coffee so that you can add it to smoothies. You can add it to coffee 
maybe you don't want it in the medium roast. You want it in the, in the black and bold, but you want to add the MCT powders in it. We're going to sell it as a standalone as well. No, right on. So it was super great catching up. We need to do this definitely do it more often, regardless if it's on camera or not, but, um, definitely good catching up, bro. For sure. Let me know when you want to do it again. I'm always down. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, be, I'll be in touch. I got a couple ideas, but I'll give you your night back so I don't steal it all. Perfect. See ya. Behave. Later, bro.